When I retired, with lots of newfound available time, I enjoyed many travel opportunities. This podcast may encourage you to visit, revisit, or experience virtual armchair travel, learning about exciting new venues. Travel is an excellent vehicle for lifelong learning. Welcome to the What Travel Writers Say podcast. I'm Mike Keenan, your host, and today I'm going to describe my experience sky jumping in Florida. Yes, I tried it and I survived. At Lake Wales in south central Florida in a hot, arid hangar, I'm paired with David Buzz Bazzoni. We will sky jump in tandem connected with straps and buckles that he claims will resist a force of 10,000 pounds. One look at Buzz and I feel confident. A gritty ex-paratrooper, he resembles an NFL linebacker. Brush cut, solid, and all business. Lake Wales is a city in Polk County with a population of around 15,140. It's located west of Lake Kissimmee and east of Tampa. We don blue flight suits to keep our bodies streamlined. I wear what looks like a World War I leather helmet and goggles. In the hangar, we practice the routine. Edge out to the door of the airplane. Arms crossed at the chest. Crouch. On the count of three. Lunge forward. Chin up. And only then extend both arms outwards in the flying position. Do you want to pull the parachute cord, he asks? No thanks, I reply. I'll be too busy skydiving to think of pulling a cord. A small group of us are transported briefly on the back of a truck to the small plane which is revved up and waiting on the black tarmac. It's a warm, sunny, beautiful day. The sky azure blue with only a few clouds. Getting into the aircraft is not easy for me, saddled with a locomotor disability. I gingerly mount a ladder, step inside, and someone passes me my cane, which will not be of much help in the air, I think. Inside, two young videographers, Liz Boothy and Ryan Clow, sprawl on the floor beside me, sitting on a bench closest to the door. I opted for the $98 videographer package, instant proof when naive grandchildren might dare to question the veracity of my exploits today. You didn't really skydive, did you, Gramps? Behind me sits Debbie, 40-ish and attempting her first skydive on impulse, without her husband even knowing. She looks nervous. I'm not afraid of heights and my disability has gotten me used to falling down, but only a few feet, not from the sky. Why am I doing this? My wife and children were not pleased when I told them I was going to skydive in Florida. My children claimed that it was an extreme sport, and that I would not be covered by insurance. I didn't care. It was something that I had to try because of my disability, which was getting me down, making me feel depressed, This was an opportunity to show my body who was in charge, in a rather dramatic fashion. I wasn't scared, but I was anxious. 
Pilot John Sugar eases the King Air turboplane into position for takeoff. We slowly ascend and gather altitude. The door is left open, with me right beside it. I get a panoramic view of the lakes, myriad terrain, and even some cows, which all grow microscopically tiny as we approach 13,500 feet and slowing to 90 knots for the jump. Peering through the doorway, I experience some sober second thoughts. It's too late for that. A green light sparkles, the pilot signifying that it's time. The well-trained Florida Skydiving Center staff has kept us busy with details. Their videographers film us as we ascend and candidly ask how we feel. Comic panic mode moves in. I thought we were supposed to be lawn bowling, I exclaim with an exaggerated shrug. Anything for a laugh, our children will ultimately say. I remember poet William Blake's lines, To see a world and a grain of sand, and a heaven in a wild flower, hold infinity in the palm of your hand, and eternity in an hour. Will skydiving translate into such a peak experience of feeling eternity in a few minutes, or will I be simply glad when it's over? I am gravitating towards plan B. Time to go, shouts Buzz. We inch forward. My videographer, Ryan Clow, already perched outside, holds tight, waiting to record my dramatic exit. He thought he was Icarus, my wife will lament to those few gathered in the funeral parlor. The wax melted. He got too close to the sun. It's showtime. I recall the drill. One, two, three, go. The shock of wind startles me. My cheeks wobble. Air presses so hard against my goggles that they pinch. Nevertheless, arms extended, I fly, and I marvel, transfixed by the scene below. Seconds tick by. I'm so enthralled that Buzz lifts my head so Ryan can take decent pictures. Affixed to his helmet are both a video camera and another for still shots, which he adroitly employs by pressing a connecting cord with his tongue as he falls beside me. We race towards the earth at 138 miles per hour. Buzz outfitted with an altimeter on his wrist and a device that measures speed. I wish I had a mechanism that measures adrenaline. It would be off the chart. I manage to smile into the powerful, incessant wind. Remarkably, I feel no sense of speed. It's like we float until Buzz eventually pulls the cord and suddenly we stop while I notice Ryan streak by like a comet. Only then do I appreciate our blazing speed. Next, we float blissfully for six whole minutes. Careful not to eat or drink before the jump, only now, as Buzz playfully maneuvers the two parachute cords, turning us slowly from side to side, do I get a little queasy. As we approach terra firma, I lift both feet up as we had practiced in the hangar. We execute a perfect landing in a sitting position. I remain fixed in awe as Buzz gathers up the parachute trappings and Ryan continues to film. Somebody hands me my cane. When Debbie lands a few minutes later, we hug, pat our respective backs, and execute high fives, manifestations of joy and triumph over our fear. Of course, we immediately rush to the souvenir shop to purchase t-shirts, appropriately sky blue, the print boldly exhibiting an inspirational quote from Leonardo da Vinci that reads, 
For once you have tasted flight, you will walk the earth with your eyes turned skywards, for there you have been, and there you will long to return. She tells me that it's the best experience that she's ever had, second only to childbirth. She calls her husband on a cell phone. He will not believe her. I smile. We have our DVDs. The first parachute jump in history was made by André Jacques Garnerin, the inventor of the parachute, on October 22, 1797. Garnerin tested his contraption by leaping from a hydrogen balloon 3,200 feet above Paris. His parachute was not packed into any sort of container and did not feature a ripcord. The first international freefall jump with a ripcord was not made until over a century later by Leslie Irvin in 1919. Georgia Broadwick had actually made an earlier freefall in 1914 when her static line became entangled with her jump aircraft's tail assembly and her freefall descent was not planned. She cut her static line and deployed her parachute manually as a means of freeing herself from the aircraft to which she had become entangled. The military developed parachuting technology as a way to save air crews from emergencies aboard balloons and aircraft in flight, and later as a way of delivering soldiers to the battlefield. Early competitions date back to the 1930s, and it became an international sport in 1952. Parachuting is now performed as a recreational activity and a competitive sport, widely considered an extreme sport due to the risks involved. Despite the perception of danger, fatalities are rare. About 21 skydivers are confirmed killed each year in the U.S., roughly one death for every 150,000 jumps or about 0.0007%. The majority of parachute injuries, approximately 85%, occur upon landing. Not all jumping is done in daylight. Buzz told me that his favorite all-time jump was a military night jump over San Francisco Bay several years ago, and some people develop their own style. One of the ladies with us asked to jump out in the form of a somersault, which she accomplished to thrill our group. I thought our height was sufficient at 13,500 feet, but on October 24, 2014, Alan Eustace achieved the highest parachute jump in history, jumping from 135,890 feet and free-falling for four and a half minutes. I don't know how long Buzz and I free-fell, but it seemed like a long time to me. The ladies, being much lighter, seem to enjoy longer rides. Besides skydivers Debbie and me, Lake Wales boasts a few other notables. Edward Bach, ladies' home journal editor, died in Lake Wales in 1930 within sight of his beloved Singing Tower. Pat Borders, the 1992 World Series MVP, is a part-time Lake Wales resident and Lake Wales High School alumnus. Wade Davis is another Major League Baseball player from Lake Wales. And Red Grange, the galloping ghost of NFL fame, was living in Lake Wales when he died in 1991. Everyone asks, would you do it again? My response never varies. Yes, but I don't need to. U.S. President George H.W. Bush celebrated his 80th birthday by skydiving. Actor Tom Cruise is yet another recent Florida convert. At Lake Wales, Florida, leaping from a plane at age 64, 
I too have skydived, and poet Robert Frost was correct. The heavenly road less traveled has made all the difference. To read my article on skydiving, go to my website, www.whattravelwriterssay.com. And for pictures, go to my Pinterest boards, www.pinterest.com backslash mustang6648. We conclude each podcast with an appropriate travel quote. And today it's from American poet Robert Frost, who said, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Amen, and thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments, contact me at mjk6648 at gmail.com. Happy travels, and tune in again next week for another What Travel Writers Say podcast.